Welcome to the Kincast from Kinherit. We examine everyday challenges from running a business, self-development, and getting on the property ladder to dealing with loss, having a family, and preparing for our end of life. Practical and insightful, the Kincast series will take you through life's challenges from cradle to grave. It addresses the current climate while also looking to the future to see how we can survive and thrive. Hello and welcome. My name is Ben Mayton. I'm the CEO of Kinherit, and this is the Kincast. I'm not in my usual studio today, slightly different in the office, so you might hear people in the background, but oh, that'll be a bit earthy and a bit more fun, so maybe real. But I'm so lucky today. I've got a very good friend of mine, Jamie Breeze. He's become a very close friend over the last four and a half years since we met in Brasserie Blanc um, when I was at one of his networking events. So Jamie's come along today. We're going to do more on the uh, known unknowns. Um, I don't think there's anyone better who's had almost like three careers, three amazing careers. Mm -hmm. Um, past, present and future, which we'll come on to, to talk about known unknowns. Um, Jamie calls himself a super connector. I think he's underplaying himself. I've never met anyone who brings people together quite like Jamie. So I've built you up, buddy. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about you? Maybe two, three minutes and a synopsis of the, of the last 25 years of being Jamie Breeze. Great. Well, it's lovely to be on the show. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me on. And uh, you're right, Ben, uh, we become friends and friends through business. We've also managed to support each other as well, which is a good sign of a friendship and a good business relationship too. So briefly, a word which doesn't come to me very easily, as Ben and my other customers will testify, um, I uh, started off in life helping out my folks at an antique store. I suppose that was one of my first experiences in business. Uh, I was washing cars as well. I had a little business when I was 11 or 12. Maybe we'll come on to that later on. Uh, and I grew up in London. Uh, I had an interest in art, obviously antiques, art, collectibles, that kind of dovetails and segues nicely into an art degree, which is what I worked hard for. And I get, got a chance to go to the Chelsea School of Art. Then I came to UWE, which is the one of the two main universities here in the area of Bristol, and did a degree in an art degree. And then from that, I've had a, a few different careers. Uh, I will preview those for you now, but it's been a a life of variety to date and hopefully will continue to be so that ranges from working broadly speaking as a, a journalist or a columnist to be more accurate for a, a national red top being a television presenter or host as they say in the states um, i've also run business networking events for a good few years now and business exhibitions along the way i've enjoyed filmmaking and i've also had an opportunity to meet lots and lots of really cool and interesting people i've got some plans for the future as well how about that? Brilliant. That's brilliant. Look, we, we'll, we'll come on to it. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. And uh, I've never known anyone who's done so much, give such a like a muted version of their life. But that was great because we'll dive into it. So this series, as I said to you before, when we spoke about it. So the podcast started in out of the result of coronavirus. I was going mental. And I mean that in the literal sense, I was losing my mind by not meeting people, not seeing people, not networking. I, I find it difficult not getting depth of conversation. So I started the podcast up to give me an outlet and also to give people who were interested access to business leaders across finance, different sectors. Um, I've had legal, I've had legal bods, HR bods, um, some amazing business coaches in, um, in Gary Keating and, Mark Carroll, I've had some amazing um, business strategists in Phil Lewis, probably one of the leading business strategists in the UK has been on here twice. And that's what it's been about. Then I thought, right, everyone needs to pivot. Everyone needs to change. I'm not going to do a Joe Rogan and move to Austin. I can't afford it. So what can I do to pivot and change? I thought, well, 
let's do something called the known unknowns. It gives me a chance to speak about wills for two seconds, which is great to get some promotion. But it's also speaking to people who've been a success and had to pivot when things have been different and that's changed careers. Or also what they do is help people with known unknowns. So let's talk about the start of your career where you started with film, you started with the, the, mm -hmm. in the antiques world. And let's talk about the TV career because I think that's really interesting for people to have a little glimpse behind the curtain, how that then pivoted into Only Connect. <laughs> It's fun to kind of go back a little bit and it's good, it's good, uh, it's good for me in a way because uh, I think I once heard Chris Evans on one show he was being interviewed. It was probably about 15 years ago, which shows what a long career he's had. And he was saying, particularly in the TFI days, that often he was working so hard and moving forward so constantly, so assertively, so, uh, so fast. I'm not quoting him verbatim here, but he never had a chance to look left and right along the way, which is, of course, quality of life and recognizing what you've done. And I, uh, I'm not going to be, I don't know if this is being modest or immodest or humble or, or falsely humble, but I sometimes forget. And a few mates occasionally pat me on the back at an event and say, oh, you've done this. And I go, oh my giddy on. So I have. So it's nice to do a little retrospective because um, it's been a challenging week, actually. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. And um, so to go back just a little bit, I think I mentioned the antique store. So I got a sort of an interest more than a part. Because you love interest. that. You love that stuff. When we speak about it, you light up. You love everything yeah. you do. But when you talk about antiques, your face lights up. It feels to me like that's one of your very true pleasures. It is. I think objects is something uh, in general, not just object, the art, as I try and say in French, but actual objects of interest. And I've, I actually scribbled down a business idea. Um, it could have been as, as recent as the weekend, actually. It's on my... Uh, ever burgeoning to-do list which you and I both know a lot about it's it's moved across I started writing down my to-do list because actually entering it into a word doc or into a reminder one of the Pressing. actual digital tools <laughs> much better to write it down I improved my handwriting which never got any better since I was a kid uh, and furthermore you f physically writing something down you know and there's a lot of thinking about this does seem to you're putting something out into the universe if you buy into that stuff and I sort of agree with it there's physically writing down an objective which is a to-do or a goal even that's the biggest picture stuff it's very powerful stuff when i've done it in the past it seems to have manifested itself in reality or in my reality anyway so um, you're, you're almost the phrase as a guy called lavar ball he had three three sons basketball prodigies and and he was a very very divisive character on how he spoke but he had a phrase speak it into existence he said i'm going to speak into existence my mm -hmm. son playing for the lakers and look, maybe his son was overdrafted. Maybe he shouldn't have gone to Lakers. Look, people argue different things. But he had a big thing about speaking it into existence. And I think the writing of the to-do list is that putting it into the ether. You are speaking it into existence. Yeah, definitely. Psychologically, I think it's different to just putting it into a computer. Well, I don't think I'm going to get past question number one, because I'd like to bounce back on what you just said. I just realized, given what you've just said, by myself talking about my new business idea, it's a small business idea. It may get some may get legs you know may grow legs and, and run ahead but i've been thinking about uh, embracing youtube and as a, a broadcaster i'm quite late to the party on that but the, 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 i'll share with you the idea because it's not something which um i'm particularly sort of uh, guarded about it so i just wanted to go back to appreciating art or objects so i had an idea of making a very minimalist youtube channel and maybe once a week uh, doing almost in a white studio so the of the focus of the show just for five minutes or so is on the object itself. Mm. You know, obviously a, this is a modern microphone, but just imagine it was something of interest, which would be of interest to other people around the world in general. 
yeah. uh, you know, let's say a, a, I, I, think a I think that's a superb idea. <clears throat> vintage superb radio. Idea. Just talk people, about it. Yes. Just people talk are about looking it. for content and they're looking to be entertained. Mm. And I get the feeling now they people people either want long form or mm. short form. Mm. The the middle ground I think is disappearing very quickly. Yeah. So like you doing a five, seven, eight minute show on on a certain type of old classic toy and mm. showing that toy and maybe talking about the genre of that toy and then the next week doing it on Christ painting or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really well received and, and it'd be lovely because it's that short, that short attention span. They can watch it on the commute. They can watch it here and there. Perfect. Thank you for that. You're the first person I've shared this with and therefore I've shared it now to the interweb as well. You've spoken just, it to existence. That's well, it. this comes around um, somewhat elegantly, I would say, to, um, to the point that you made, which I think sometimes some people say, I think I've heard the expression quite a few times. I don't know what it means. So forgive me if it's got, if it's a, a word in another language, which is rude or something along those lines. But I've heard a number of people say, I don't want to put the kibosh on it. Mm. You know, I don't want to jinx it, maybe another type of parlance around it. But actually I, I've, I find that if you do declare that you're going to do something, not only potentially, and if you subscribe to this idea energetically, it may have some impact on the environment and the, the world around you, the universe, make a dent in the universe and somehow by literally saying it. But also you're basically setting yourself up for accountability and you're asking everyone you just told to be unintentionally or intentionally your accountability manager, which we know in business can be somewhat useful. If you're saying you're going to do something by this point, then you know you don't want to let the side down and you certainly don't want to let yourself down and then in some way now broadcasting that i don't want to be uh i don't want to deliver on what i've just but, shared but the great the great thing about what you've just said as well that i talk about when they come up with ideas is that make it make it achievable if you said right i'm going to do a 15 minute show every day on different things i'd have been really nice on here and i'd text you mate i think you've bitten off too much i know how busy you are yeah. But if you're doing one or two five to eight minute shows a week, that is something that A, is giving in regular content for the clients, mm. but B, something that you, who, is a ve- who are a very busy individual, can actually fit in and can achieve. Because if you were going to try and do five 15 minute shows a week, mate, you're not going to find the time. It's mm. just never going to happen. So doing like the five, seven minute show once, twice a week, that's not only is it going to be great, but it's going to be really achievable. Oh, thanks, Ben. Well, thanks for the encouragement. I feel... Uh... I feel I better get my uh, go to my storage unit to start how, fishing out of things. How have we got things. future? We're meant to be doing fast, and we've started with future. Right, this is this is exactly let's, where I knew this would go. It'd be like us two chatting. Let's row back to the boathouse. Let's use some vintage oars. Let's row so far back that we knock the uh, the trophy I got in 1923 off the back wall of the boathouse. So going back to your original question, um, uh, yeah. So a, a, an interest in art and collectible was spurred on by my stepmother and my father, and they had a stall at. Portobello Road, which is a mecca for many uh, of, of that sort of, um, you know, the world of antiques and collectibles. So, you know, just a Saturday boy, if you like. And then, um, but it triggered my interest in art and design. And I, sort of suit, I saw that through to my A-levels. I did an art degree, art A-level then. And I went off to Chelsea. I knew that was one of the five top colleges in London. I think there was a lot of competition to get yeah. into these courses. So I worked really hard. And I got into Chelsea for a year, a very good reputation. My, uh, <laughs> it, it's an amazing, it was a very unusual experience. We were using one of these old, very old mid-Victorian schools, which are quite, uh, not brutalist in their architecture, but they're quite, I, I would say, a little bit doer. And, mm. They're um, cold, aren't they? Cold. Yeah. And so, and it was just really weird having an art school or one, one of two, uh, one or two free campuses in the Chelsea area. 
you know, in this, this strange old place. And our tutors were fascinating. So I had a chap, um, I, our tutor, well, I had two tutors. My main tutor um, studied, on, studied with Hockney in the 60s, which is incredible. And then my other tutor, uh, Martin, was the drummer. In fact, I discovered post after his death, actually, sadly, I discovered he died a few years ago now. Um, R.I.P. Martin, um, but he was the the drummer in the Bonzo Dog Doodah band. He was known as Sam Spoons. Um, I think it was, yeah, yeah, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, the Bonzo Dog Doodah band were, you know, I think you look at what the Beatles are saying about them and others. They were a very experimental band, part of that sort of almost underground music movement in the 60s, well-regarded and very radical. So, you know, we had some really interesting tutors. I think having those alternative points of view uh, helped shape my approach to art and design anyway. So just sort of jumping forward a little bit, I took a year out after that. And lots of people do wonder, should you take a year out after your A-levels before you begin your degree? And um, I sort of took my year out after a kind of a one year of a degree, which is called a foundation course. When you do art and design, in general, you have to do a one year orientation course, which in itself is hard to get onto. So effectively, it's a four year degree to do any type of hands-on art degree. And then I found out that Bristol um, was a good place to study. It was a good place to live. So I came to Bristol and I really embraced my time at UWE, University of the West of England. I really embraced it. I thought, how lucky am I? I don't know the numbers, but I remember thousands of people applied to that graphic design course. It was one of the best in the country. You know, and there's only, I don't know what it felt like 30 people got selected. I, I think I'm about right in saying that, certainly back in the mid nineties. So I was very, very lucky. And I got onto the course and I, I almost talked myself out of the interview. I was so confident, according to my tutor. <laughs> he told, I think he told me when I graduated, you were very lucky, you, you know. Um, so in a way, um, you know, th that, that foundation in art continued and interest in antiques. So just jumping forward to give you some sort of, sort of key points. I, I uh, graduated, I, I graduated with a first. I was very proud by, um, proud with. I was fully involved as a student. I set up the film society and so forth. But there was a sort of a pivotal moment at the end, beginning of my third year, where we had a whole year to do a project. So it felt like a really good opportunity to do something and stretch my wings. So I decided I would make a film. And the long and short of it was, I had, you know, it wasn't a film school and there were no film tutors. So I was doing graphic design. So I went to go and see uh, the, the dean of the faculty. And I basically put my case to saying, look, could I make a film? And he effectively said, look, we don't want to get known as a film school. Uh, what happens if you, I think it, I can't quote it, but it was something my memory says, what happens if you go off and make a film and it does really well, we'll get known as a film school, which is not what we are. So I wasn't allowed to use the, the old cameras, which were kind of locked away in a, in a cupboard from decades of old. But he said, yeah, you, you've got a blessing. I also was doing a dissertation for a year and it was on images of disability in film based on the film, The Elephant Man. So there were two things which were merging together and it didn't feel just like serendipity. I decided to uh, make my short film uh, around a, a difficult subject matter, I would say. And then what I decided to do was to write to the actors who were in The Elephant Man to say, look, I'm making this short film. I've got no training. I'm doing it as a student. I'm at university. Can you assist me? So I wrote, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous now, but I realized that writing letters, writing letters, tip number one today, is a powerful thing to do. Even hand, today. Hand writing. Write a letter by hand. Um, I, I, at, least, a, at least do the envelope by hand. Correct. As mentioned, my, uh, my handwriting ain't very good, but I, I certainly hand signed all these letters and sent them off. But I reached out to Sir Anthony Hopkins, Sir John Gilgood and Sir John Hurt, who were the three of four principal actors 
um, along in The Elephant Man. And it was directed by David Lynch, my favorite director as well. So there's lots of stuff coming together. My short film had a David Lynch experimental feel. And I wrote to them and all three of them communicated back and said, yeah, we're going to help you. So I can't go into the details because um, even now it probably still feels somewhat confidential, but Sir Anthony Hopkins and Sir John Gilgood supported me. We'll leave it at that. Uh, and then Sir John Hurt um, took a role as the main, one of the two main actors. It was incredible. You know, he was in The Elephant Man. He, he was The Elephant Man and here he was. And, and what, what's really funny is uh, he was quite a rebel, Sir John. And again, rest in peace. Uh, he, he's sadly passed on as has Sir John Gilgood. But he he sent me a, a fax. It was back in those days. And he said, I'm gonna, I'm meant to be filming with Adidas. So he had this wonderful, for those of you who know, he has a one had a wonderful voice, and it lasts, of course, through his various mm. recordings. Mm. He probably has, along with Andrew Sachs, who I've also had the joy of working with, was also sadly passed away a few years ago now as well. Two of the best, what what John, what Sir John would say is diction, two of the very best dictions in broadcast have probably belonged to Sir John and uh, to Andrew Sachs. Just a wonderful, I think the word is mellifluous diction, or something really kind of throaty, almost guttural, but really has impact. That's not to knock away from friends of mine like Sam West and others, but there just seems to be something very mysterious and magical about those two voices. So the long and short of it was, um, he wrote a fax and he said, I'm meant to be filming with Adidas. <laughs> this is you know, 20 years after the fact, it's okay to say this. And I said, stay in London, uh, so you've got to get Jamie, his James back then, the studio, and you've got to pay for it. <laughs> so he, he told Andy, that's his client, he was meant to be voiceovering this advert for, obviously there's a multi-million pound campaign. And he said, he, he wrote, and he showed me the message he sent to Adidas. He was so behind helping a student who really, he really sensed that I was in it. And here's the, here's the punchline. Not only did he take this role, but when I was filming with him, it was only a day's filming, recording even. I just said, look, I can't be really cheeky. Could I interview you for my dissertation so I can get some primary evidence, which of course gets marked very highly when it comes to your dissertation review. If you get primary evidence, i.e. evidence which is not available to the general public, which you can't find in a book or from a research. Yeah, you, you've, had, you've had to essentially go out and create yeah. that evidence. Yeah. So those who remember doing dissertations who are doing them, I hope that's the same, the correct appellational parlance for it. But yeah, as you're saying, and of course I got a chance to interview him and I recorded, it was amazing. So I had a chance to interview the, the you know, the lead actor who, who was Oscar nominated as well. And, and interestingly, he was uh, at the same time, he, he only lost out and no one's a loser when they're Oscar nominated, but he lost out to a worthy uh, competitor in the Oscars in, in 1980, I think it was. It was Raging Bull, it was Robert De Niro. Interestingly, another film sort of set in a mysterious past, if you like, certainly somewhat experimental in its filmmaking techniques. And also black and white, shot on black and white film in 1980, how unusual. So yeah, I think that, that's something that people don't really understand and appreciate is that I think we're very guilty. To, uh, uh, I'll be honest, I was, I, I was in the, I do a little fitness routine every night because I got so fat, it, I was like a ball. And every night I do a little bit of fitness routine about I do stretching and yoga and about 10 o'clock and I watch a bit of a film. I watched a little bit of um, Star Wars Phantom Menace last night mm -hmm. and it made me think how guilty I am of, of just of not appreciating how far we've come in cinema, but also how much we don't appreciate some of the amazing stuff that was done in the 80s, in the mm -hmm. 70s, that was, that was challenging, like Raging Bull. You, know, you look at... Um, you look at some of the things that come out, I, I know that you're far more educated on me than this, but we, we now seem to rely very heavily on CGI. And while it's great and it's fanciful, there is something really special about raw and gritty and 
almost bare bones exposed, isn't there? Very much so. I was kind of hoping, even though I've enjoyed them enormously, the more recent Star Wars films, um, I, I, was, I was kind of hoping that the, re, the restart of the final trilogy, if you like, would go back to that almost, and George Lucas described his first Star Wars film as this, almost, almost a documentary type of filmmaking, a little bit gritty, even though it has the, the polish of a Hollywood movie, of course. Believe it or not, he was a documentary filmmaker and he applied some of those techniques to Star Wars, the original film, which they later named... Uh, renamed a, a new hope yeah so i was hoping it would have a almost a slightly handhold 16 millimeter feel which for those of you know is kind of half the uh, the the quality if you like of the traditional motion picture but that's another story uh, just to alert your listeners or viewers uh ben did say we'll probably have 40 minutes to chat and it'll end up being oh, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna fly I, past that. I, I, I could literally um, We're going to fly past that. Don't worry. I, my longest show is an hour and 20 minutes, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. I, got it off till, I got it blocked off to 11.30 because I know yeah. you and I know me. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I have, a, I have a, a sp- an appointment at 11.25, so I'm going to ask you to keep tabs on that because I can't miss All that because right. I'm going to get my uh, back straightened out a little bit, I think. So, um, yeah, so, I, so I, I, I graduated and I'd made this film in my final year. And the long and short of it is, is that the film... Uh, was experimental. It was somewhat overlong. I did put my heart and soul into it, and I literally suffered for my art. And there was a point when I, truthfully, after I graduated, I hadn't finished the film incident. I had to carry on working on it. It was difficult with no uh, to hold down a job and finish a film. And you know, you, you can't claim unemployment benefit if you're knowingly going off and working on a film because that's work. You know, you're progressing your career if it's paid or unpaid. Which certainly making a, your first student short film is unpaid and you're very unlikely to ever make any money and they very rarely do so um i pushed forwards and at one point i remember eating from the rubbish bin in my well in in yeah just leave it at that <laughs> so i'd wait and yeah i'd wait until people finished meals and i would eat the scraps um i was it was pretty desperate um i remember people i lost a lot of weight and um there were some good people around me who would take me in literally and this is my tutor richard higgs uh, who would actually take me in with his wife and make sure, you know, they gave me, allowed me to have a bath, they would feed me. I and mean, then I had some good people around me because they knew I was trying to push hard. And I had this incredible goodwill behind me, but it's very difficult to do it when you're mm. working every hour, which of course I'm familiar with, as are you, but also trying to do something in uncharted territory personally, which is make a film with no training. So look, the long and short is the film um, did all right. It won some awards. And and this moves on to the, 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 the sort of first part of my career. I was at... I, I, got, I got nominated, and this is unusual, I got nominated as a Best Newcomer for the British Independent Film Awards, which was set up, it's like a little bit like the BAFTAs, and year on year it's become more successful and more well-known. I remember it was sponsored by corporate brands, and it's a fantastic event at the Café Royale in Piccadilly Circus. So I rock up with my uh, director of photography, or cinematographer, Stephen Brand, um, and we, we were sat right at the back of the room. It's a huge space, the Café Royale, um, sorry, Cafe Paris, Cafe Royal, whichever one, the huge one in Piccadilly Circuses years ago now. And we were right at the back, so I thought, well, I ain't one, and that's okay. I'm just lucky to be here around. And the, the other nominees, I, I, it was Layla Morse, it was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, if I remember. And there was another short. I mean, I, it, what was going on here? I'd made this. I, I, don't quote me on this, but I remember them being, I remember Steve um, going to the loo, and Tim Roth was also in the toilet, and there were all these celebrities. and you know, it was a proper big old do, hundreds of people. But you say, it's, you, you, it's just to be there is great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So we concentrated on just uh, making the most of the evening. And uh, 
but two strange things happened. One, they showed a clip of the film and somebody came up to me from called Helen. She came called Helen Kramer, actually. And she was from another table. We were at the back and they said, we've just seen that. I think she said something like, we've just seen a, a we're just showing a clip of your film. It looks like it has some production value or in other words, it looks like some money's been spent on it, but you're a student, right? And I said, yeah. She said, how did you finance that? I said, well, I bought and sold antiques and collectibles when I was a student beforehand, where I saved a bit of money. I was a full grant student as well, I should add. Not wasn't from a money background, professional background, but no, no, no particular money to be frank, as that would indicate. So not pleading poverty and I had a wonderful upbringing, but you know, I think we would definitely add hard times, you know, occasionally. So there I was. And I said, well, funny that I've bought and sold antiques. She said, well, she said, funny that too. Uh, I work for a show on network BBC two. Um, we're currently looking for, and I'm not going to quote, it was along these lines, a, uh, a young male presenter for an established primetime show on BBC two with Fiona Bruce at the anchor and who knows a bit about the media, which you do because you've made a film, and knows about antiques and collectibles. What are the chances of that? Guess what? Within a week, I was meeting Jane Lomas, the series producer, the big boss, the, the second in command, um, in Knightsbridge. But the show was made out of Bristol. And I lived literally off outside the beach. I didn't live outside. I could have done at one point if I'd not finished the film. But I was literally living like a couple of roads away from BBC Bristol, where they make all the shows for the network. In other words, for the whole of the UK and the world, in fact, like the Natural History Unit is based there. And the Antiques Show and the Antiques Road Show is based there. Fiona wasn't helming that at the time. It was somebody else. So basically, and then I went for an audition and it was in Bristol again. So it was on my home ground. So I got the job as the co-presenter of the Antiques Show. I think it was 6.7 million viewers a week. And I was working with Fiona Bruce straight out of uni or within a year, talking about something I really loved. And we did a whole and series that, together. And that's amazing. I might ask you, I'll ask you a really brutal question because I know how the career you were thinking. Did you get too much fame too quick and too soon? Do you think <clears> it was the right? Do you think maybe having it, a, it could have been better to have a bit more you had a lot of struggle with the film stuff and then mm. you just got very quickly into a great like a job that people mm. would break their arm for okay so I'm, I'm sure the bbc wouldn't mind me saying and, and who knows if it's under an nda 20 years on or whatever it was but um it, it, it when you start off as a presenter certainly for me back then anyway the, the pay wasn't great it was probably just a it was you know it, it was enough to help remove a little bit of the debt from my mm. uh student film which i built up a bit of not too much because i managed to sort of work along the way and work nights editing suites and, and and stuff like that you know lots of support and lots of love and lots of help from all sorts of amazing people for that first film you know who you are if you ever happen to come across this podcast so um the answer to your question is no it was bbc2 so it didn't uh, it's unlikely being and again not well you just read between the lines it, it doesn't it, that particular show didn't attract people my age in general i would say yeah, you were saying that we, you weren't getting 15 million viewers at, at seven o'clock on no, a tuesday yeah. no no it's it was um, a magazine the antique show was a magazine so it was originally francine stock then fiona bruce came in and it was a magazine format with uh, i think it was four or five presenters i replaced uh, david dickinson as i understand it he went off to do bigger and better things well not better things because he's obviously you know the antique show was a great show but he's an awesome talent and went off to create his own uh, shows as you know and, and yeah. gained a global following and, and a good egg as years too and I was lucky enough years later to be a guest on, on this chat show actually we had a chance to have a little chat about it all so but the long and short of it is um I did the buyer's guide and it wasn't it 
I don't say it was particularly cool. It was a beautifully made show and it was lovely to work on it. But I would say just out and about, it's not the sort of show where people would stop and talk to you about it. It's, it's weird. And also I was only doing a seven or eight minute segment each week. So again, despite being peak time or prime time, whatever you call it, it wasn't, it's, it's a weird one. And it's not the sort of thing people, you don't go into OK Magazine about it. You don't go into, uh, you know, it's not a cover story thing really. So it was a weird one. It was kind of tucked away. Um, but So let, let's, let's go into now that you've done that. There was um, a few other, a few other syndicated shows you worked on. It's how mm -hmm. you met Brooksy. Mm -hmm. um, it's how you and you did time in America. And you've also then got the column. So can mm. you bring together that sort of period mm. of four or five years? Because the, I remember the first time I saw you was when you were on Sky News. Yes. So you actually saw we, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we, yeah, before we met, if you can bring into a couple of the shows you did, wow. how you ended up with a bit of America, and then. <laughs> The, the mirror column oh and then god because the that, that's that feels to me like a whirlwind for about seven eight years yeah so, yeah oh my word okay how do i let's see if i can pray see this and i'll do i'll do my very best i promise you that so um i found myself my dream having be, wanting to be a filmmaker that first film not only got nominated but ironically there were two half page stories about it in the times newspaper when it was a broadsheet so the concern of my dean and my faculty from Professor Paul Vanderlem actually came to pass. I mean, what was the odds of that happening? So it did end up being in the newspaper. So the film did well, and I got signed up by the William Morris Agency, which is one of the three biggest agencies in the world. CAA, um, there's actually a couple, there's a couple of new agents which have come to the fore. CAA is, is, is another one of them, and ICM. So I was ironically with David Lynch's agent, who was my hero, who I was doing my dissertation on. So a year after I had submitted my dissertation, I was with David Lynch's agent. It was just crazy. Um, okay, so I'd made the film, um, but I found myself needing to take a, poor me, needing to take a day job, which was presenting network television, which I really enjoyed. But it's, it's, quite, it's quite stressful. I mean, I still get nervous before any broadcast. I've done hundreds of episodes. So just jumping forward, the shows, the sort of things which I've done to, to, to kind of wrap, a, wrap that part up are, um, I had um, a show on ITV One for, I think it was three years and a bit, uh, which before mentioned, Brooksy was the series producer. I think she had a hand in shaping the development of the project as well. So um, it turned out that she lived near me in Bristol when she wasn't working on the show in Birmingham. So we became friends afterwards as well. So yeah, on and off, I uh, almost every day of the week, I was doing a show on ITV One called Everything Must Go. Yeah. And then I was flitting between another show called, uh, well, This Morning. <laughs> Yeah, just like that other show I just mentioned. Great, great team. Philip and Fern were the, the hosts, and I came in and did a, a weekly show within it called Cash or Trash, um, which ended up um, doing quite well and being on the show quite often, which I sort of had a real ple pleasure on working on. So that was uh, another thing. Then series for Channel 4, I was on the Channel 5 News weekly for a long time. Sky News, I did newspaper reviews. Um, uh, and then I around about around about the time of the antique show, I got a job for the, uh, for a year as a columnist at the Daily Mail, writing about art and antiques. And then after I got a job at the Sunday Mirror, so I was with the Sunday Mirror for twenty years up until a couple of months ago as a columnist. So I think I was one of their longest ever serving columnists since they were founded in the early nineteen hundreds. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I think uh, what a good stint twenty years. You know, just I think it was like a couple of weeks under twenty years with a national paper, Red Top. So writing about art and antiques. Other shows I've done include a, 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 a long sort of stint, sort of hosting, but more being an expert actually on a big American show called Auction Kings, which was amazing. I was commuting to Atlanta, Georgia. Before that, I was doing this huge show. What, what an airport, what an airport. Yeah, yeah. Just to time yeah. out, for anyone that's never been to Atlanta, Georgia, 
It's got a Michelin star restaurant in the airport. I don't know if it's still there, but when I went with my wife, it's, I think it's one of the only airports in the world with a Michelin star restaurant. It's, a, it's huge. Fast. It's, it's, it's vast. Like, it's bigger than, I think it's bigger than Heathrow. I think it's, big, it, it's the I, biggest airport square footage in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And, and, and the people of Atlanta, they, there's that Southern welcome. And, yeah, it's lovely. Um, I had a fantastic time um, working on this show there. Before that, I was doing a pilot. I, I, it was, ended up being several episodes uh, of, a big, of a show called Treasure Chase, which is unbelievable. I was the presenter of that. It was like a game show around antiques on location. We had all these wonderful locations booked around America. Graceland, I think they'd booked all the contestants booked and then things changed. I think at discovery, I, I, I can't remember what happened to be honest. It's probably under an NDA somewhere, but the show didn't um, go ahead. Um, but I did get a job on another discovery show called auction Kings. And, um, but you know, um, the, the subscription, if you Google it, I don't know what the subscription is, but I don't want to put the kibosh on it by getting it wrong to use that word again. But it is, uh, I think it's in, in the hundreds of millions, if not billions sort of subscribers, cause it's obviously on pretty much every TV set in the world. Um, maybe worth someone looking into that. When I last looked, it was a lot of people used to watch Auction Kings in a lot of countries, the majority of countries and majority of TV sets, I think. So, uh, but again, you know, what a wonderful experience. And I was mixing it up at that point with, um, with networking events. So 12 years ago, I started a thing called Only Connect in the city of Bristol in the UK. And I wanted to, I was having rooftop terrace parties um, for- I want, I want to take a pause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was the psychological thing? Because look, like me, you really like people. I joke and say I don't like people. I really like people. I spend all my talking and uh, like listening and I enjoy this. And I think people who watch this show probably go, Christ, Ben's quiet for once. Um, <laughs> but why did, why did Only Connect happen? You just, you just glossed into it. You started Only Connect. Yeah. I'm interested. So let, let's talk about a known unknown there. You knew you wanted more or something different in mm. your life as an addition to what you had because otherwise you wouldn't have done it. Hmm. So that, that was unknown to you what you're going to set up and it ended up being only connect. What, what was it do you think that prompted you to look at setting that up? That's an interesting thought. Yeah, it was a, it was a quick segue, wasn't it? Actually a defining moment in my life, my first proper yeah. company, you know, as you a company. You segued over the biggest change you've made in your career. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah. then I set up only connect. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was March. Um, so in early 2008, um, I think before the financial crisis was being muted or certainly being the public zeitgeist, I'd been running every summer um, roof terrace parties just for my friends because I found it was a nice thing to be able to do. And it was probably every month or so. And I put a letter on my neighbor's door and said, if the music bothers you, let us know. No complaints. So I was, did it very ethically. And we had a DJ and a chef uh, once it got too busy. And I'd invite 20 to 40 friends. Well, I'd invite maybe 60 friends and 40 would turn up. So it was this wonderful roof terrace thing. And I asked people to bring along the food. And I suddenly realized, hang on, there's a business here. So I hired out the Barclay Square Hotel in Clifton in March. I think it was March the 13th, 2008, because I saw it on Facebook the other day. And then this wonderful thing happened. Just I just asked my friends to each bring a friend. And suddenly there were 200 plus people in, in the whole of the venue. And it was just, everyone got a free glass of champagne. Because I, got, I remember asking mum champagne to sponsor it. It was amazing. It was completely untested. I didn't have a business and they did. They were really got behind it. And I, I think I asked a few, this is, sounds really silly now. I think I asked a few friends with Aston Martins and Porsches to park them outside the hotel, which, you know, to kind of just create a sense of occasion, you know, red carpet sort of thing. And, um, and it was wonderful. And there was no dress code at the time, just smart. And then it later became black tie. So the reason why I did it, because I found that broadcasting, if you're not an A or B list presenter, which I don't think I ever really wanted to be, um, 
it, it, there was lots of gaps you're like an actor so i thought i'll just fill these gaps by running these parties when i want to but they're networking parties and i called it social and business networking combined so i covered the social networking and the business and they ended up being wonderful and i think if you ask a lot of people the thousands if not possibly tens of thousands of people who've been to one over the years it ended up averaging about 500 yeah. guests per meeting yeah ended up being black tie and allowed me, as you said, to continue to connect with people when actually being a presenter, a jobbing presenter, which I was, I wouldn't say I'm lonely because I had friends, but I, I certainly found myself with periods of inactivity where people were working and I was twiddling my thumbs waiting to get a TV show underway or coming up with a TV show idea from time to time or going up to London lot pitching ideas and also writing a screenplay. I didn't mention that. I, I, I wrote a screenplay and sold it as well. So that was uh, in the mix as well and always dreaming of making another film. So Only Connect um, happened after my last significant film and was a really uh, fun thing to do and became a company. And I think there's been 28 of them so far. And don't forget with five, five up to 600 odd guests or nearabouts. Uh, we sponsored like Aston Martin, ironically ended up like, sponsoring it. Bentley ended up sponsoring it. Uh, I couldn't even go into it. It was incredible. Red carpet, people, just people who are um, looking to build bridges with people, but wanted to celebrate business connection and it was just a, a wonderful thing and i kind of parked it maybe three years ago and felt like the right time to do it with nearly 30 of them under my belt and other things so then, to chase down let's look at so the tv career is sort of changed tv changed in a way in a way it worked mm. as you know i to tell you about that yeah, and sure. then you you then went and thought right well you you, you what came first the showcase or evo or were they same time okay so the timeline is uh the last significant film i made was in 2005 um and that that's another whole different story maybe another time but it, that did well and won awards and and got um got me to america again um meeting unbelievable people telling me about films which 10 years later like you know broke the box office like literally that's how long a film can take to develop it's another whole story maybe another interview one other time in the future so uh only connect was found in 2008 uh, then in 2014, I started the business showcase Southwest. I, I just realized, hang on, if I'm bringing 500 business people together once every couple of months, maybe uh, I could sell exhibition stands around that, which I sort of was doing anyway, then you connect with, with sponsors. And then I could hire a nice venue and have some wonderful speakers. Mm. And uh, so that was the showcase. And I, I engaged Baroness Brady, um, who's Lord Sugar's aide, as they call it, on The Apprentice. But obviously she's a hugely successful business person in her own right and just you know on, on every level she's a very successful business person so mm. I wanted to inspire people with a really with a celebrity speaker but somebody who's also in business and has been there done that and is continuing to do that so that was the showcase and that became another dominant force in my life and seemed to be around about the time when antiques and collectibles was going through a phase in television where you know it's, it's certainly when terrestrial television when the shows on BBC One to Channel Five at terrestrial channels um, were, were at their four um, before the advent of Netflix and so forth. You know, people would know the shows. There'd be a sort of common sort of water cooler moments where people say, "Did you watch this show last night?" So I was, um, I was always looking to get back onto one of those shows, writing letters. But it felt like the right thing to do was to start the showcase. And Antiques comes goes for a cycle. So sometimes it's it's DIY, then it's food and cooking. Then it's antiques. That seems to be, that just felt like there was a, um, you know, there's just five or six subjects which seem to go around the zeitgeist in television, certainly back in the day. So I was in one of those cycles and yeah, the showcase felt like the right thing to do. So I, I sold my, uh, my dream car to finance the business and set it up as a, 
uh, incorporated company, I think that's around about when we set it up or something along those lines. And, and off we went and it became this marathon trying to get thousands of people into one venue in one day. And we started off in a, like a sort of an arena, and then we moved to a stadium. <laughs> and, it's a, and it re- remains a small business, uh, which puts on very large business events. We, we've always felt it was the largest single business event in the southwest of England, which outside of Greater sure, London is yeah. the largest region, we think. So it was a, a big endeavor and very, very, very hard work. And often very rewarding. Getting a chance to meet some, uh, the highlights would be well, it's impossible to do that. But um, we ended up working with some of the global firms. We partnered with Google, with a digital garage for five of the events. Uh, Facebook. I was introduced to the marketing director of Facebook for Europe, Middle East, and Africa, who then gave the approval for a speaker to fly over and do two keynotes at the stadium. So we, I think it was the first time Facebook had done a significant keynote in the Southwest of England. That was my memory. I could be wrong. Sorry about that team if I have got that wrong, but it, it, it just felt that we were really moving things up and, and it was free to attend as well. So it felt like a day long networking event for several thousand people, if not more on one or two occasions to come together in a place for free because the sponsors would help us fund the event. And then to also see these great speakers also for free, except for the breakfast networking at the beginning, there was a ticket for that. But all the speakers on the main stage and the seminars were free. And there were some phenomenal speakers from the aforementioned Baroness Brady to well, leave you've, iRoots. You've had, you've, had some great, you've had some great speakers yeah. there. And I think the, the I value it's added is, is incredible. And I think it became a business calendar event. Mm-hmm. I think Good the first way. couple of years you did it, it was, it was growing and people were hearing about it. There's a lot of word of mouth. Well, I would say certainly the last three events, probably four events, were, were business. People put it in their calendar and made sure they attended it. Like business people had it, small business owners, um, directors of other firms, they had it in their calendar. It became a Brit- Bristol staple, didn't it? The yeah. southwest of England, in the diary, when's the showcase, right? Bang, it's in there. Are we exhibiting no? Are we exhibiting yes? Am I going to do both or one? And, but we're definitely going to attend, even if it's as, as visiting guests. There's advantages, there's advantages yeah. to be exhibiting and there's advantages to being a delegate. Because if you're a delegate, you can literally get, if you're seriously into networking or you really want to make it a learning day as the principal, which you are, you can go off and literally absorb, take as much in as you yeah. possibly can, literally by the bucket load of connections. If you're an exhibitor, it can be more focused. Obviously, you know, it's a different energy. But I, yeah, thank you for reminding me because it was a year ago since it was this next month that we did our last one, which was our 10th. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost impossible to describe the work that goes into it. I would say it's very akin to making a, a film. In a film, you have an audience. You have a producer who putting on the show, of course. You have a cast, who in this case would be your speakers. You have your financiers, who are your sponsors and your exhibitors and others. I mean, it's, it, it is, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to um, look like I'm, I'm ungrateful. No, those aren't the words. That's not the right appellation to this. It would be just... It, I cannot explain the pressures of a large event and in particular an event at a, like a venue, like a stadium, not, not think, having to do the venue, just the size of it, the yeah, scale yeah, of it yeah, it's not, it's and not the moving parts, you, yeah, the moving parts. parts. There's so many moving parts and there's so many responsibilities as the organizer from safety to uh, speakers arriving on time, which they always did, I, I should add as well. Um, but they're just, you know, if anything, one of those things goes significantly wrong, it cascades dramatically. It's a scale, it's a scale of overwhelm. Yeah, that people don't understand. 
was a quarter of a mile, if I remember, from one end of the show. And by the way, the shows in Las Vegas, I think there's shows in Paris where they've got custom-built exhibition centers, which we have in, you know, in the UK as, and, and as well. But they are the sort of free, you know, I think you can spend three days walking around one of those events. But, I, I, you know, I remember our event manager, I think she walked 30 miles over the space of the prep and the actual day of the event. <laughs> just, just, just crazy. Um, so yeah, phenomenal and very, very high pressure. And also you kind of, um, I can't explain to you the business pressure because everything rests on two days a year. It was a biannual event. You know, what happens if uh, there is a significant strike, if the car, the cars get stuck in the mud in one of the car parks? I mean, just, just to share with you, and again, I don't want to overstate this, but just trying to, you know, you need to provide free parking uh, if you are in a certain city where, uh, you know, the infrastructure is different, there are traffic jams and things and it's out of town slightly, you have to provide free parking. You know, I don't want to charge people for that. So, so where do you find the parking? You know, I think for big modern day cities, which are build, being built or being renewed very quickly elsewhere in the world, it's relatively easy and go, this bit of land will be a car park. This bit of land will be the stadium or the arena or the, co- the conference center. But I think with Britain, one of its wonderful joys is the, the fact that we do have history and heritage is one of the greatest things about living in this country and, and in any uh, city which has history and heritage. But also there's often restrictions in the, in the width for the roads or the, mm. uh, the availability of space to build on or to find a car park temporarily thing. So there's advantages and disadvantages to, to putting on a, a large event in a, in a, in a well, what is an ancient city, almost certainly this part of the world. There's lots of ancient monuments and the city of Bristol is, is a, a very old city, of course. And it's obviously trying to... Oh, my, I've got a bit of feedback on my mic. Is that me coming off the back of your mic or is that my mic being weird? I'm all good here. Am I good again? I think I'm good again. Sorry about that, guys. I'm not going to edit that out. Leave it in. It's natural. Um, we are we're friends and we met through Evo. So oh, yeah. what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about Evo um, and then we'll get into the Biz Live, which I think is a superb new venture. And I think it'll go really well. I think what will happen, it'll be a slow build as people come to it, find it, discover it. It will be. By the time you get towards the back end of season one and into season two, you'll start to gain more of a following. I think it'd be brilliant. I think it'd be absolutely superb. But it's like all these things. People need to discover it, find it and trust it before you get the numbers. So let's talk about Evo. So I'll give you my first Evo. People don't know what it is. So Evo is a networking group. And I went along. It was a Brasserie Blanc upstairs in the annex bit oh you came to one of the ones there did you God, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's the first yeah. time i met you yeah, really? it was a bunk upstairs in the in the in the in the narrow weird little annex which mm. doesn't feel quite as nice as the rest of brasserie blanc it no. just out the way out the it's back a 13th century monastery believe it or not yeah, it is and it, it feels like it hasn't been decorated since then but i'm saying that not you so i'll take the blame yeah. um great great meeting loved it felt oh god this is networking like i've not done before um there's a chance to meet people and um, really interesting to understand a lot of people have done networking, but anyone that's been to Evo, it does feel that bit different. Um, I've always joked it's middle-class networking and it's absolute best because um, it's it just, it just, we always eat in really nice restaurants. We always have food in really nice places because so, a lot of the networking, and again, you're not going to say it, so it's me that can get the blame for it. A lot of the networking I've been to is not in maybe the best restaurant it's not the best breakfast it is just about the networking but i felt with eva what you always managed to do was to deliver really good quality surroundings and good quality food along with the networking which always gave it that extra feel of 
importance if that makes sense so you've not said those words i'll take the blame for them but <laughs> I, that's what i believe is a big differentiator for evo is we've always met in nice we what were we brasserie blanc lovely the ivy crikey how many people network in the ivy um harvey nicks um Tortworth court tracy park we meet in really lovely places and that i think has been synonymous with the success of, of evo is that you don't get the network you also get a bit of quality as well so let's talk, i want you to explain why that was obviously that was obviously a conscious decision you didn't accidentally pick really nice places so when you were saying on the network mm -hmm. what made you think about that okay i realized in 2015 um uh, that um one of my in fact probably my key uh, asset if you like or experience is connections and knowing other people and that's partly because of knowing people through networking events for only connect and television uh, and print media as well i was writing for a lot of magazines i was I, I didn't say this but it felt like i wrote for one in five of the high street magazines freelance or regular uh, usually about antiques and collectibles in general so i had a lot I, I built up a lot of connections so it felt like evo was the right thing to do in a small way so i started off as a passion project no it started off as a business fair and square um but i wanted to bring i want i identified um, that it might be nice. There might be a, a, an opportunity within the market to find premium venues that that was, and then use them for networking. So we were the first to use the Ivy out, yeah, for networking events. And the Ivy in London, uh, being outside of that, I think the first one was in Bristol. The new Ivy, um, where you see them often, lovely cities and lovely old converted banks. For the first one was Bristol. And we were the first people to do events there. So, um, and then more recently, um, not being able to do the showcase this year at the stadium stadiums venues we just can't do that uh, it felt like really putting my all into evo so working almost full time on it moving it online at the beginning of lockdown very quickly felt like the right thing to do now we've been very lucky because it does lend itself rather well in my humble opinion and the numbers speak for it now we've had over 100 percent growth since the lockdown so it seems to work well online we use zoom and um, not only has the business survived but it's thrived you hear those words a lot and what I've also found, one of the benefits, you can also, I realize we've done 20 weeks and I've been largely with a small team in support, but uh, staff furloughed um, until very recently, fully furloughed. We managed to find 20 weeks, almost a meeting every day, in some cases two or three times a day, I think. And then um, we managed to find speakers for 95% of those meetings, which required a speaker until recently. It's crazy, you know, people are actually available. 15 minutes of anybody's time dialing in from the interweb using Zoom. People are open to it. So it's not been difficult. I, mean, I can't believe that's over 100 speakers or something that little muggins here, i.e. me, has managed to cajole, convince or nominate to come and speak. So I've been really, really lucky. It lends itself well to working from home, which we've had to, to using Zoom, which of course we've had to get used to. And as you know, Ben, and you talked about recently, one of the things which makes Evo special is those live venues, like the De Vere Talk we've called using the Orangery, which is this beautiful multi-space, multi-purpose space, but primarily for weddings in a beautiful venue like De Vere's Talk with Court. You know, that's one of the reasons why, why it works so well. But we've managed to keep it together in online as well, and we've been growing. Who knows what the future will hold? It seems to be the news changes, and, and I understand why it does. Um, but we're going to be online for a while but we're also going to grow i'm i've been muting that we're going to open up another group in wales fairly soon 
We've had two new members join this morning. One who's a, a principal at a really amazing business. They're joining the Evo Wales group. So things are really moving in the right direction. And I, I, feel, know, I know we've got the, the Cheltenham groups being discussed and we've got other yeah. options with that. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I, it has the potential to be a national business. I, 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 um, I'm, I'm never surprised in business that things you think will work really, really work. People really gravitate towards it. It's often the case that it's not the case. And sometimes you, you know, things which you kind of underplay and understated really take off. And, I, and that, that's a perfect segue into um, the biz live because I'm mindful of the time um, um, before you before we do that, I just want to do yeah. one last thing on Evo. I found that I've done a lot of networking. I've really enjoyed. I've done loads of it. Mm. People who know me know that I I'm never happier than being centre attention at the front of a room chatting. Oh, look, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't. But what I love about what I hate about certain networks is where it's just about people pitching, pitching, pitching. I'm not interested in that. Mm. I like to, and I say this all the time. It's no like trust. If I, but if I don't get to know you, I can't like you, I can't trust you. You could have 300 accountants all stand up there and they're all going to say very similar things. You have 300 will writers, 300 IFAs, 300 ex-mirror columnists, former mirror columnists. You're all gonna, we're all going to say the same sort of thing. There's only so many unique perspectives. So I think what Eva does really well, we encourage people to give a little bit of themselves in a one-to-one give yes. a little bit of themselves and i think anyone who's networking even if they're not networking in our groups i would say that's a real big tip for people networking give a little bit about yourself tell a bit about your why a bit about your story why you're passionate mm-hmm. not just i do x i do it like this cheers no one cares just people don't but evo i think we're really good at just getting a bit more out of ourselves and a bit more in that story and asking people for a bit of help I'm not saying, can you be my client, but can you do me a favor on a couple of tweets, up, a couple of LinkedIn messages this week? Mm-hmm. You'll be able just to like them or comment on them. I think it, things like, it builds that community. As well, I was just going to say, the word community is the right word. Um, you took words out of my mouth. Uh, certainly during lockdown, um, it's been fed back to me occasionally ad hoc, but it's really felt like a support community when some people, um, from sole traders to principals at larger businesses, have been experiencing great change and in some cases great stress no doubt um, and in some cases having to make difficult decisions and in some cases seizing opportunities and making things happen but I found that Evo uh, um, again I can't cite any individual members has been a support community but also um, it's always evolving so just last week we brought in um, some changes you know a new format with a little bit more business focus as we start to unfurlow return to work in some cases mm-hmm. returning to the offices and others a new normal as we keep hearing um, and that will, we'll see how that plays out. But I think that will remind people that it is a business network and that we are here to build a community together and also make sure that our businesses are in fine fettle. And I mentioned, you know, things you don't often think will work out, end up playing out well, but I, this biz live thing spun off. It is part of Evo as a company. And a few months ago, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, broadcast live on LinkedIn. So I, I, the figures roughly that I know of, um, I can't give the exact figures out publicly because a LinkedIn person shared them, but um, not many people around the world, there's 500 million plus users of LinkedIn, have been granted this um, opportunity to stream live on LinkedIn. It's very different from YouTube because you have to either be given it or applied for it. So, and I, I, I don't know what their criteria is. What yeah, I do it's, have is very strict because there are very few people doing it. I, I've, I'm, 
I joined a communities, a kind of an online community, a worldwide online community for people who have been given this this golden ticket, as somebody said to me recently. So what it means is, it's, I expect you put your finger on it. We don't know how many viewers will watch. You you can't. I don't think you can get subscribers. There's no subscribe button, so you can't easily unless you're doing it through a company page, which I'm not. I'm doing it for my personal profile, which is Jamie Breeze, by the way. Little plug there. But um, I decided I'm not just going. I'm going to go absolutely all in on this. I'm not going to sit like I'm doing now. I'm going to get a studio. I'm going to invest in equipment. I'm going to find uh, engaging guests, which lots of people do, of course. But I've reached out to some really great guests. I mean, I'll share with you our pilot episode is this Tuesday. It is at 11:30. Um, AM, and the the first guest for the pilot is a four star general, former commander in chief, land forces, uh, former chief of the general staff, so head of the professional army, and CEO of Amicus, which is a global consultancy firm. He's called General Sir Peter Wall, and has more letters after his name than I can fit into a into a, a page of A4. It's incredible. He's a phenomenal leader. Um, very, very expert in all sorts of different areas. And and is the theme we're having for our pilot episode on Tuesday is resilience, which of course, everyone needs a bit of resilience, particularly at the moment. So the Biz Live is is my reaction to being given this opportunity through LinkedIn to stream live. I, it is still a work in progress, I think even LinkedIn, other users would say, not in terms of it's working and it's, it's ropey, it's not at all. I've done a test this week. It's more about how do we maintain our viewers because there is no subscribe button. And if you're an individual, you don't have likes, you can have followers, of course, but I think it's going to be um, really interesting. Like it's gonna be, I've told my sponsors this, probably low numbers to start with and who knows what will happen. What I, I can tell consi- you is- Consistency is going to be one thing that yeah. shows on the same time every day, all the time. So yeah. being a Tuesday, 11.30 sure. will be a great thing. Are people able to watch it uh, recorded? So uh, is yes. that something you can do? So that, that, and does LinkedIn record that? So you will yes. be able to look at your, yeah. LinkedIn reposts it straight away afterwards and then notifies people where I think it's my first degree connections, but there's a degree of mystery around it because it's, it's still something which is developing and emerging, but I'm getting uh, the feeling that when we do go live, a degree of my first degree connections, depending on how we may get notified, we've got an event as well. So I think when we have an event, it notifies those people that we're live. So you could look on LinkedIn for the biz live pilot episode. Maybe you can search for it and find it and then, click one click accept i think to the invite and then you well, I'll, I'll put all those details yeah, on, yeah. Be, all these details we'll put them on spotify we'll put them on yeah. itunes we'll put them on youtube yeah. facebook and linkedin so if anyone's watching this now and wants to listening watching however you're consuming this we'll make sure all those details are in the in the what do they do they're in the description down here yeah. well look, we're, we're, we're going to try the pilot out i'm going to ask people watching the great thing is we can have sir peter on the show which we do uh, he's not going to be in the studio. He's um, uh, we're going to do a, 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 a kind of a cast like this, but we'll have some later in seasons. We'll have studio guests. Yeah. Season one, season two, and season three have all been sponsored. And that's the thing I was going to come back around. Had no idea that within it was four and a half minutes when I put the word out that we're looking for a sponsor for season one. Did DCW Finance quick plug for them? DCW Group, I beg your pardon, and then Umo Finance for season two, and then. <laughs> Adam's team at Professional Apprenticeships are sponsoring season three, and we haven't even had an episode yet. All three sponsorships were confirmed before we even did the test. So I think, um, uh, you know, I've cautioned them about numbers. I've said, we just don't know. I think the marketing, the publicity around it is real value. I think the fact that we can then, I believe, take it and put it into a, U- a new YouTube channel, because it's a recording. And, and, you know, so there's extra mileage there. 
and I think it's going to be really special. Other speakers include Michelle Michael. This is for future episodes, dates to be confirmed with the speakers and with the public as well for us to tell you. Uh, Michelle Michael MB, the serial entrepreneur, uh, Professor Demo Demev, one of the leading experts in entrepreneurship around the world. Martin Roberts, the presenter of 28 seasons of Homes Under the Hammer, BBC One. Sahel Khan, the, one, the world's number one joint venture expert. He lives in Malibu, California, and also sometimes Middlesex. So depending on where he is, he may be in the studio. Even the managing director of Barclays Business in the UK, Ian, is uh, tabled to be a studio guest because he lives not a million miles away from where the studio is. So, um, and then there's many more. There's, there's 14 confirmed guests so far. So we're really, really excited by that. And I think I want to bring on leaders who've got something to, to share, some wisdom to impart, who've been there and done that. And particularly in these more challenging times, perhaps share and allow themselves uh, to not allow themselves. We, through LinkedIn, you can chat with those speakers. So anybody can tune in from around the world, as it were, we think, we don't know yet, and then ask a question of, let's say, Sir Peter, if there's time. That's, that's brilliant. And it's that type of thing that will spread with word is that, oh, actually, we were able to ask questions and we spoke to this person. When else are you going to have a chance to ask a, a five-star general, whatever the phrasing is, of all this stuff? When are you, when are you going to have a chance to ask, uh, ask Demo, a leading professor, in lecture and entrepreneurship a question like you, you don't get those opportunities and so what you're doing is i think it's really really good where it's free. let's, let's free. <laughs> and it's free Let, let's let's just sum up the future now we it's going to look like adding a couple more evos yep it's exactly that i've just been talking about it the last couple of days and this morning in fact yeah a couple of, ease it in uh find the company structure the support unfurlow fully unfurlow uh, a few staff members perhaps well not perhaps now uh, you know um next couple of weeks in fact and start to grow evo again i i think it probably has the potential to grow uh, really significantly we've done the done the sort of the, the the initial work to get it into fine shape i'd say and although it feels like something that could certainly be taken uk wide it's it could all it also could just be a very very sizable business operating from let's say cheltenham down to Bournemouth and everything west of there just even covering that it's a very sizable thing for you to manage it's it's a massive business that's in my comfort zone and you know I want to have a quality of life as well which I've I've often enjoyed but sometimes when I've been all in with other things like there was a a show a tv show where the hours um well I I don't want to say actually because it's probably against some sort of union rules but there were long hours yeah. read into that as you were and you wouldn't believe the number out of 24 if i told you and you were not expected to work that but you had to work that and that was uh that was yeah that was a the a, unions a and the screen actors guild would be very unhappy if you said those yeah. numbers out loud jamie i'm very conscious we've taken so much time um first and foremost you're a friend uh secondly you're you're a great businessman and um a completely top but crazy guy um Everyone that knows you, I don't know anyone that's got a bad word to say about you. And you, you've done so much in business that I know how hard you've worked over the last, since March the 13th, when we were told we had to stay at home by Boris. Mm. I know how hard you've worked and anyone involved with Evo also knows that. I think BizLive be a great success. I encourage everyone to go and have a listen, go and have a watch. Um, I'm sad I can't watch the first episode. I'm already booked out this, this Tuesday coming, but I will certainly be tuning in thereafter. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Jamie Breeze. I'm Ben Mason. This has been the Kincast. Oh, I've not even mentioned wills yet. If you want a will, trust power of attorney. We know anyone that does, give us a call. 
Um, that's the best. Pl- that's, the, that's about the plug I do on this show, Jamie. That. That's well, how about I better that? How about I better you come up twice in it, possibly four times in the last two weeks at Evo? People saying Ben's company sorted out this. Ben's company, so, you know. Yeah. So let me throw that back at you. People speak unbelievably well of you, and I've never heard a bad word against you. And furthermore, I'd like to share that you are an upright fella and a great family man as well. As well. No, I'm going to blush. Right on that note, I don't like praise. I'm off. Take care. Speak, speak later, mate, and stay safe, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye-bye.